So this morning we're going to look at the first part of his um, letter to them, his words to them about that gift, verses 10 to 13. This is the word of the Lord. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning thankful that we too, uh, a church on Signal Mountain, can enjoy this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. Um, Thank you, Father, for preserving it uh, by the power of your Spirit, passing it down from one generation to the next so that we now can sit as the Philippians did, under the words of Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, your words. And we can learn from them, we can grow from them, we can be challenged from them, we can be encouraged by them because they show us Jesus. And so would you do that for us this morning? Show us Jesus. Help us to desire him even more. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want, I want, I want. I need, I need. I gotta have. And my parents are back home watching this and they laughed just now, I promise you, because that was a saying made family famous by my dad. Why? Because his children were famous for having that kind of heart. I want, I want, I want, he would say. I need, I need. I gotta have. It's all I hear. And he was right. Um, And that want, need, and got to have heart was especially on display around this time of year. Because, you see, there is a lie that I believed every Christmas when I was a kid. There was a lie that I believed every Christmas when I was a kid. I fell for it every time, and the lie was this. If I could just get blank for Christmas, then I'd be happy. If I could just get that BMX bike for Christmas, then I'd be happy. If I could just get Atari 2600 for Christmas, some of you, I dated myself here. If I could just get that Commodore 64 computer system, then I'd be happy. Year after year, I got those things. I got what I wanted, despite my dad's Uh, (laughs) resistance. I got what I wanted, but the joy never lasted. The toy never satisfied for long, and by January, my heart was once again crying out, I want, I want, I want, I need, I need, I gotta have. There's a lot of wisdom packed into Dad's little saying. Almost 400 years ago, the philosopher and mathematician Blaise Pascal famously said, All people seek happiness, 
This is without exception. This is the motive of every action of every person, even those who hang themselves. All people seek happiness. We all want, we all need, we all got to have. And there's more wisdom packed into Dad's little saying. Listen to the progression in it. If you want something long enough, you'll believe you need it. I want, I want, I want, I need. If you need something long enough, you'll believe you got to have it. I need, I need, I got to have. And if you got to have it, but you never get it, or you do get it and it's still not enough, where does that leave you? Discontented. It leaves you discontented. And it doesn't just happen to kids at Christmas. So, kids, I'm not just picking on you. We adults have our own grown-up Christmas list. And perhaps you can relate to this poem that I found. It was spring, but it was summer I wanted, the warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted, the colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted, the beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was now winter, but it was spring I wanted, the warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted, the freedom and the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted, to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted, the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle-aged that I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, but I never got what I wanted. But Paul says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I have learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. And that that word means that I'm as if I have enough, that I'm sufficiently supplied, content. I know how to be brought low, he said, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. We're all discontented, but Paul has learned contentment. And what, what is this contentment Paul has learned? Here... here Here's what we discover as we look in these verses. The first thing we discover is that true contentment delights in good gifts without depending on them. True contentment delights in good gifts without depending on them. Where do we see this? In verse 10, he delights in a good gift. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now, Paul's not chiding them for, oh, it's about time you had concern for me again. No, they'd always been concerned, he says, and in fact, they'd given to him before, but for whatever reason that he doesn't tell us, they had not had the opportunity to express their concern for him. But now, they have, and they've sent him this gift through Epaphroditus. So we'll, we'll talk more about that next week. The point here is that Paul's contentment allows him to, de- to delight in receiving a good gift. 
Don't believe this Greek philosophy or this Buddhist philosophy that says desires are bad, that delight is bad, or you've got to rise above them. No, Paul delights in this good gift, but he, but he doesn't depend on it. Because true contentment delights in the gift without depending on the gift. In verses 11 and 12, he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. So again, somehow he's contented and not in need, but happy to have his needs met. For I have learned in whatever situation I, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Remember those uh, balloon dogs that you used to get at birthday parties or you're at the restaurant and some guy comes by and he's going to, you know, for $1,000 he'll make your child a, a balloon dog. Uh, Jeff put one on the front of our bulletin this morning. Um, those balloon dogs were great. And, you know, you buy one for your child and, and you know as soon as you shell out the money to buy this balloon dog for your child, you know there will come a time where it will shrivel or pop or their brother will steal it and there will be tears. So you hesitate to do it. It's temporary, it's fleeting, but the child enjoys it. Balloon dogs are to be delighted in as something to be enjoyed but not depended on as if they're enough. They're just full of hot air. But they can be delighted in for a little while, but just not depended on as if they're enough. Paul knows that all the good gifts that our Father allows us to have are to be delighted in, but not ultimately depended on. And it's not just material things. Now, Paul is talking pretty much about material things here, but most of us in this room are not quite in the situation of material need that Paul has experienced. This could also apply to immaterial things too, immaterial things that we have or do not have. Maybe it's fulfillment in your work. Sometimes you have it, sometimes you don't. Fulfillment in your marriage, sometimes you have it, sometimes you don't. In your parenting, Sometimes you have it, sometimes you don't. Students, maybe sometimes you have fulfillment in the achievements that you've made in the classroom or on the field or on the stage or, or whatever it may be. Sometimes you have fulfillment from achievements and sometimes you don't because there's always somebody else who seems to achieve more. Fulfillment in friendships. Sometimes you have it, sometimes you don't. These are all things that we may have or not have. And Paul's contentment is not connected to what he has or does not have. Paul's contentment is not connected to something he has or doesn't have. But I didn't learn this when I was a child. I was a child of the 80s and by the 90s, I hadn't learned it. But alas, 
Thankfully, in the 90s, along came that great lyricist, the great American poet, Mariah Carey. And she taught us, in 1994, the secret of Christmas contentment. Hear these powerful words. I don't want a lot for Christmas. There's just one thing I need. I don't care about the presents underneath the Christmas tree. I don't need to hang my stocking there upon the fireplace. Santa Claus won't make me happy with a toy on Christmas Day. I just want you for my own, more than you could ever know. Make my wish come true. Say it with me. All I want for Christmas is you. You see, Mariah's on to something here. This is one of those moments where Mariah and Paul, the apostle, agree. True contentment is not found in presence, but in a person. True contentment is not about what I have, but about who I have and who has me. Mariah and Paul agree that the secret to contentment is not found in gifts wrapped up up and given to us. True contentment is found in relationship with a person whose love is wrapped around us. But Paul is going to take it a step further than Mariah. Because Paul is going to tell us who that person is. He will tell us that there's only one person whose love and presence can give us contentment in any and every circumstance. He said, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things, all these things, through Christ. Who gives, me strength. who gives me strength. He's not talking about, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Otherwise, I could run a five-minute mile, and I can't. He's talking about all these things that he's learned to face in plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all these things through him who strengthens me. So what does it mean to be content in any and every circumstance, whether I abound with plenty of balloon dogs or whether I'm brought low because all of my balloon dogs have shriveled up, popped, or have been taken by my siblings. It means turning to the giver, not to the gifts. It means depending on the giver and not on the gifts. Contentment is not something you find. It's a byproduct of having Jesus. So don't go looking for contentment. Go looking for Jesus. Here it is. Contentment for Paul is to have Jesus and whatever else Jesus chooses to give him. Contentment is to have Jesus and whatever Jesus chooses to give him. And that may be nothing. I can't help but wonder if Paul in his uh, rabbi Old Testament scholar mind, might be thinking back to that tree that was planted by a stream of water. Jeremiah 17 describes it. Jeremiah says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He 
is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for it leaves, its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. A tree that is anxious, a tree that does not fear. The tree that is planted by the stream of water does not fear, nor is it anxious when the heat or drought comes in any and every circumstance, whatever situation it is in, whether abundance or need. The tree does not cease to bear fruit because the tree is not dependent on external rain. It has an internal resource. If there's an abundance of rain, still great. The tree bears fruit. If there's heat and drought all around, the tree bears fruit. That's what Paul means by contentment. There's an internal resource that enables us in abundance or in drought to bear fruit. So I thought to myself, what, is that fruit, what did that fruit look like in Paul, the apostle? Well, you remember that in Philippi, when he planted this church, Paul spent some time in prison with Silas, his partner. And in prison, throughout the night, Luke says that Paul and Silas were praying and praising God in song and singing and probably annoying all the other prisoners who were trying to sleep. Then an earthquake came, shook the place, released all their bonds, opened the gates of the prison, and they could have escaped, but they stayed. And the jailer, so afraid that he had lost his prisoners and then would lose his life, was about to take his own life. But Paul called out and said, stop, don't, we're all here. And then Paul told that man about Jesus, went back to his home, told his family about Jesus. They all became some of the first members of the church at Philippi. So the fruit of contentment in Paul in that horrible drought of circumstances he was in, the fruit was a love for God and a love for people, even Paul's enemy. The fruit of contentment was Paul praising God, praying to God, and it was Paul reaching out to his enemy with concern and love for his life. And now, again, Paul is in prison, writing this letter to the Philippians. Here are Paul's circumstances as he writes this letter. He's in prison, and so he's restricted. He, he's chained to a Roman guard 24-7. He cannot gather to worship with God's people in one of the local house churches in Rome. He can't. He's restricted. He's not allowed to go. He has little to eat. He has no money. He has absolutely no freedom. His work plans are frustrated. His ministry plans are frustrated. All of his plans are frustrated. He's, they're blocked. They're postponed. He can't do what he wants to do. Not only that, his potential execution is looming ahead. And then finally, he has a daily concern for the churches that he can't see. He can't go be with them. He can't go and be a present help 
to the people in the churches he's planted. And you know, though we are nowhere near in the circumstances that Paul were in, our circumstances, in a way, are similar today in 2020. We find ourselves restricted, quarantined, can't do and go like we want to do and go. We're chained to a mask 24-7, it seems. We can't gather with God's people and worship with them the way that we'd like to. Some of us are experiencing severe financial hardship. We don't have the money we have. We, we can't put the food on the table or in the pantry like we used to be able to. We hate that we have lost our freedoms. Our work plans are frustrated. Our ministry plans are frustrated and postponed and blocked. Death is looming all around us. And there's our daily concern for the church. We too can't see each other. It's very frustrating to pastor when you can't see your people. I get you, Paul. Listen. Heat and drought happen to everyone, but not everyone is planted by a stream of living water. So I wonder, I want to ask us, can we see in our lives the fruit of contentment in Christ? Can we see the fruit of a love for God in these COVID days? Has our prayer increased? Has our praise to God increased in the midst of the prison we find ourselves in? Do we see the fruit of love for others? Has our concern for the well-being of others increased during these days? Even our concern for the well-being of our enemies. Has it increased? Well, if you're like me, you find that a bit convicting. But here, here's the thing. Paul also tells us that contentment of this sort is something that has to be learned. Paul learned contentment as he followed Jesus. That The word learned there is the same word that's related to the word disciple. <laughs> you, you, don't guess, you don't just... Discover contentment. It doesn't just show up under your tree at Christmas. You learn it. It's the same word that Paul used when he warned the Ephesians not to be greedy and fall into sensuality. He said, this is not how you learned Christ. It's the same word that Jesus used when he said, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn me. I'm gentle. I'm lowly in heart. You see, Paul learned contentment as he learned Christ. The secret of contentment that Paul has learned is that Jesus, plus whatever or whoever or wherever Jesus chooses to give him, whether it's abundance or need, Jesus plus that is enough. But he had to learn it. 
So how do we learn this contentment? Let's, as we close, think about how Paul learned it. Two things. Paul chose to see everything as a gift from Jesus. I said earlier that Paul rejoiced that the Philippians had been able to send him a gift, but listen again to what he said. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Paul's rejoicing in their gift was a rejoicing in the Lord. Paul recognized that behind every gift he received was a giver, the Lord Jesus. When Paul's dependence on Jesus, uh, when Paul's dependence was on Jesus, he could delight in everything. Everything is a gift when Jesus is the giver. One of the Puritans, Jeremiah Burroughs, wrote a whole book about this passage called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. I encourage you to go read it. It's fantastic. But he said this. This is how you, this is how you learn that everything is a gift when Jesus is the giver. He said, to make a good interpretation of God's ways toward you. In other words, learn to see even affliction as a gift coming from God's good and loving heart. Learn to see everything as a gift coming from God's good and loving heart. And he gives some suggestions of things you might think to yourself when things go poorly. Think this. It may be that God intends to strengthen my faith in this. That's a gift. Or it may be that God saw that my heart was too set on created things and he's graciously weaning me from them. It's a gift. It may be that God saw that the better my outward position were, the worse my soul would be. In other words, if my wealth continued, I might fall into sin. So he took it away. It's a gift. It may be that God intends to prepare me for some great work which he has for me. It's a gift. So what he's saying is don't assume that your hardship means that God is hard against you. God is for you, not against you. He did not spare his only son, but graciously gave him up for you. So how will he not also give you all things to work together for the good of making you like Jesus? His heart towards you is good. Burroughs said, take heed of judging God to be a hard master. Make good interpretation of his ways with you. And this will be a special means to help you to contentment in all your course of life. So, choose to see everything as a gift. That's going to take some learning. Just like you can't learn patience without a reason to be patient, <laughs> you can't learn contentment without a reason to only need Jesus. And then Paul didn't, Paul didn't believe a change in his circumstances would make him con more content. Remember, he said, in whatever situation I'm in, whether I'm brought low or I abound, in any and every circumstance, whether I face plenty or hunger, abundance and need, Paul didn't believe that changing his circumstances would make him more content. Another Puritan Richard Sibbs said, if the soul itself be out of tune 
with Christ. Outward things will do no more good than a fair shoe on a gouty foot. Outward things will do no more good than a fair shoe to a gouty foot. I have had a gouty foot. Let me tell you, it's painful. Some people describe it as having kidney stones in the joints of your feet. It's absolutely painful, so painful that if the bed sheets just brush up against your foot, you wake up in piercing pain. So it doesn't really matter how fancy the shoe is that you're going to put on a gouty foot. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt if you don't have a shoe. So the problem is not the shoe. The problem is you and me. It's our heart. It's our gouty hearts. Um, My my circumstances don't need to change like changing shoes. My heart needs to change. Gifts, whether they be people, places, or things, are not the problem. It's what my heart does with those gifts that is the problem. And this is why we need Christmas. We need God to come and rescue us from our dependence on ourselves, from setting our hearts fully and finally on balloon dogs on people, places, and things rather than on the person of Jesus. We need Jesus who was perfectly contented to be God the Son in fellowship with God the Father and God the Spirit, yet who did not count equality with with God as something to be grasped, but who out of the overflow of his contentment emptied himself by wrapping his love in flesh and blood, taking on the form of a servant, becoming the sacrifice for our discontented, idolatrous hearts, dying on the cross in our place. What we need more than anything, Paul says in Corinthians, is to know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that by his poverty we might become rich. I want, I want, I want. I need, I need. I gotta have. That cry of the heart is actually not so bad. If you're craving Christ. So, friends, want, 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 need, need, gotta have. Jesus and whatever he chooses to give you. Pray this prayer this Christmas, this Advent. Jesus, I want, I want, I want, I need, I need, I gotta have you and whatever you choose to give me. I just want you for my own, more of you than I know. Make this wish come true, Jesus. All I want for Christmas is you. Jesus, that is what we pray. Um, By faith believing that the source of strength we have to face plenty or need is in you. And only when we have you will all of our other desires fall into place and we can truly enjoy 
the good gifts you give us and not worship them. So Jesus, even as we come to this table today, would you uh, remind us that you fill the hungry, you satisfy the thirst of those who cry out, my soul thirsts for the living God, my flesh faints for him, when can I go and be with him? We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.